Our scripture reading is Isaiah 11 and 12. Isaiah 12 is only six verses, but it follows right with chapter 11 and the promise, the prophecy that is there um, exposed. So we'll be reading these two chapters, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros, and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines, Toward the west, they shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it in the seven streams, and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortedst me. 
Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Amen. Let we return our attention to Isaiah 11 and 12. And as a very brief um, review, when we were in chapter 10, we saw three promises that were offered. The promise that there would be um, an exile, but we saw that was a conditional promise. It would only happen if the people disobeyed. And then there was the promise of a remnant that would come back. And that was, of course, a conditional promise because it was conditioned upon the people disobeying and going into exile to then have a remnant. It was was a promise to comfort if the first promise had to be enacted. And then the third promise, as we went into chapter 11 where we began reading today, the promise of this branch. And we saw that this promise... It was not conditional. It was an absolute promise. The branch would come. There is nothing binding upon this promise to make it conditional. It says in verse 1 of chapter 11, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. And we have seen before in Isaiah this word branch, which is, of course, a title for the Messiah, that He would come and... This, this leads us today to now this very promise. This is what we will dwell upon. And this is why we've read all of chapter 11 and 12, because it's all about the promise of this branch, this person um, whose name here is a branch and a rod. And what we've read can be put into two categories. One is a general look at the ministry of this person. And then secondly, we'll look more at specific considerations of his ministry. So we can think of it, the the ministry of the Messiah, but then the results of the ministry of the Messiah. And we remember in chapter 9, it it is in chapter 9 where we found that very well-known prophecy of the many names of this person. Um, In chapter 9, verse 6, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And remember, that was all in the context of his government. It said that the government shall be upon his shoulder, and those were his titles. Well, now we are given to see something of the result of his governance and this peace that was spoken of and prophesied. Earlier, And notice also this parallel. When all those names were given in chapter 9, it was to a child that would be born. In verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And now 
What we have in chapter 11 is the same thing, but with a figure. It is interesting when in chapter 9, God is not using a figure. He's saying the clear um, historical prophecy that a son would be born. There are no figures there. There are no symbols. It is, it is exactly how it was going to be. The Messiah would be born into this world. But now in chapter 11, under this figure of a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch that would grow out of Jesse's root, we do have a figure. But it's speaking then of a birth in terms of a figure. And so the first thing in the ministry of the Messiah, we have here a birth that is being prophesied as a surprise. There's a surprising element to this birth. And we can say more about this surprise, but we have to start there because um, a, a, a son being born, that's just a simple narrative. Right now we have a rod out of the stem and a branch out of the roots. And when you look at the word rod and you look at the word branch, these words are, are more positive sounding than what they really are in the original. In the original, these words are the words that could be translated a, a twig or a sprig or a tender little shoot that would come forth out of the stem, out of the stump um, the stem of Jesse is the idea of a stump. So here's a giant tree, but it was cut, so now there's just a stump. And you've seen that, right, boys and girls? You've seen these little twigs that will come out of that stump. And that's what I mean by a surprise kind of birth. Because when a tree is cut that way, you think of it as dead. And when you start seeing those little sprigs, it is something that some trees are able to do. And it's always surprising because you think, I thought the tree was dead, but now I see that it's alive. But it's not just surprising. There's not just a surprising element to the birth of this little boy, but there's also something humiliating regarding the birth of this little boy. Because when you see that little twig by that stump, the last thing you have in your mind is that one day the stem will, will kind of represent that tree again. What usually happens is many little twigs come and it turns into a bush of sorts. There are some trees like the eucalyptus. You literally do cut it. You harvest it once and then a, a shoot does come forth out of it and you let it grow and you can cut that tree a second time. But see, the second and then even the third never are like the first. That's why some... Eucalyptus farmers don't even allow the third shoot to go because they say if we let this third one grow, it's going to take so long to be as big as that first one. We might as well just plant a whole new seedling. And so even though it's true that a twig can become a tree for some species, there's always something humiliating about it. It's never like the first. It takes longer and it's weaker and many trees can't even have that little twig once it's cut. So, so, of course, the birth of the Messiah was being prophesied very clearly as something surprising and something humiliating. And, and Isaiah is given another prophecy, perhaps the most, most well-known prophecy in all of Isaiah, begins with this very reality. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, 
Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? See, it's something, it's something so hard to believe in a natural heart that he starts with the question, Who will believe this report? In verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. And so this is this, is this branch that shall grow out of his roots. And... And we see this, don't we, so clearly fulfilled in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph would be the figure of that stem, that stump. No one would have expected that a king could come forth out of Mary and Joseph. There was nothing visible about them in terms of royalty. They, they didn't have um, that... that um, Reality in their lives, even though they were from the Davidic line, it just wasn't what people were expecting. And yet Jesus came forth out of them. So we have something about the source of Jesus. And secondly, we have something about the strength that would be in Jesus. We could say the strength that shall be in the Spirit. This is what verses 3 through 4 are all about. That this... this Son who would be given, who is now here, someone who would not even be expected to come to this world, but he does come. And even though he would come in a lowly way, in a humiliating way, verse 2 already brings an element of grandeur and majesty that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then it brings all of these things, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord to the point that he would be quick in understanding. That's the strength that would be of the Lord Jesus. And it would be a strength that would help him be a good and a righteous, a perfect judge. That's verse 5. And, and before we go to verse 5, there's, there's a very um, precious... Well, in verse... Let's see. Yeah, in verse 3... There's a, a precious note here about Jesus that we see so clearly in his life, where he says, He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Jesus saw many things and he heard many things, but he didn't judge just by a sight or by a gossip even, or by a, a, a fact perhaps that someone had brought, but then make a judgment harshly. We can think of when the Lord Jesus saw, yes, the sight of a woman who was, who was of this world and not living a very moral life. And she began weeping at the feet of Jesus to the point of washing his feet. And he was reproved because there were people that were looking upon that and judging harshly, but not Jesus. He was receiving that praise and showing mercy to that soul. And then the woman who was caught in adultery, and Jesus is informed. He is told so he could judge by the ears. They say she was caught in adultery. There were more than two witnesses. In a, in a way, you could say, well, you can make a judgment in that case. But the Lord Jesus did not make a judgment just by what he heard. Because of what's even being shown in verse 4. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity. Isn't it what he did? Those people who were there had sins that they were not repenting of. And this woman was probably quite broken. Um, and Jesus could tell. And so he judged with equity for the meek of the earth. 
See, he saw the meekness and the need of this woman. He didn't judge just by a sight or by what he heard. And so, this is what we have in a general way about his ministry. His, the source, that he would be born in a lowly manner, in a surprising manner. His strength that would be in the fullness of the Spirit. And then also his judgment that would be in righteousness. But then the rest of the passage from verse 6 on, we could say, is the result of the ministry of the Messiah. And we start by looking at the reality of unity. That there will be unity among his people. That there will be harmony among his people. Now, the verses that follow have begun here on earth, and they will, of course, reach a fulfillment in terms of an apex, a perfection in heaven itself. Perhaps one of my earliest memory of teachers from my Christian school telling me about heaven was the picture that is in this very passage of wild animals feeding or resting alongside tame animals, and that one would not eat the other and the other would not fear the other. And what the teacher, what I remember is her giving the example of a lion and a lamb. Here in the text we have the example of the wolf dwelling with the lamb and a leopard with the kid. And then a calf with a young lion and a fatling together. And if we know anything about lions, they would eat both and run after the calf first because it would be smaller. And then the cow that shall bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. This is a picture of perfection, of, of no, no anger, no fury, no hunger, no hunting, no prey. And, and I remember, until today, it's so vivid in my mind, the thought that heaven has wild animals and tame animals living alongside each other. We don't know 100% for sure if, if that is exactly what will be in heaven. We, the details we have of heaven itself are more of the angels and of the church and, and of God's glory and, of course, the triune God. But we can, we can presume that certainly if God has animals in heaven, they will be completely in harmony. But this is a picture of paradise because before the fall, the animals did not hunt each other, and they did, were not afraid of each other. And it's a picture, of course, of God's people, that you may have been one who hated a Christian, but once you became a Christian, now you love believers. And the Bible has examples of people like this. Let, let me just read first what Matthew Henry says. He says, A generation of vipers shall become a seed of saints, and the old complaint of man is a wolf to man shall be at an end. This is fulfilled in the wonderful effect of the gospel upon the minds of those that sincerely embrace it. It changes the nature and makes those that trampled on the meek of the earth not only meek like them, but affectionate towards them. When Paul, who had persecuted the saints, joined himself to them, then the wolf dwelt with the lamb. Isn't that exactly what happened? You think of Paul when he was presiding over the, the stoning of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. 
Paul was a lion. He was a leopard. He was a wolf unto God's people. But when he was converted, he became a lamb with God's people. Remember at the beginning, they were scared. They, they thought of him as a leopard and they were worried and they wanted to be far from him. He thought maybe, maybe he still has that nature and this is his way to find out where we are. But as they realized that God had truly worked in his heart, the lamb and the ex-leopard now were right alongside each other. And he maintained, you could say, a lion and a leopard's Um, energy and strength to permeate, to go through the whole world. But he had the, 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 the heart, as it were, of a kid or of a lamb. So there will be unity and harmony among God's people. And, and perhaps an application would be right here for, for each one of us. Um, see, this is a prophecy. This is what God said would happen amongst God's people. And, and we need to understand, if we are God's people, if you claim to be a believer, you, you cannot be a lion unto other Christians. You, you cannot be a leopard. Leopards and lions hurt, and they prey upon the weak. Believers are as lamb among each other. And the cattle, the calf, we are tame. Um, there, there isn't such a thing as a Christian who is too hard to talk to because he ignores you. He does not want to have peace with you. He only speaks evil of you and evil to you and is dangerous. Those are descriptions of an unbeliever. Now, someone who runs around with a title Christian and is acting like a lion and a leopard who is dangerous to be with is really revealing that he still hasn't met the king of peace. He hasn't bowed to the branch who came out of the roots of Jesse because this is the effect of King Jesus. He turns us unto peaceable people, unto one another. And then secondly, we could say there is safety for God's people. In verse 8, um, And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We could say to a degree this is a continuation that there will be peace and harmony. But now it's, it's not so much speaking of relationships between a tame animal and a wild animal, but putting a little child, which is a figure of someone who's being innocent, someone who's being very um, sincere in what he or she is doing, but playing with something poisonous, something that would in nature be very dangerous and What some commentators think here is just speaking of the reality that when we are believers, even the things that are most to be dreaded in this world are no longer dangerous. They no longer have their sting. They no longer have their terror. And take, for example, the two greatest enemies of all mankind. And look what Paul says about them in 1 Corinthians 15:55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? See, if you're not a believer, death has a sting and the grave has a victory. You are, not over, you are overcome by those great enemies. 
It would be like the asp and like the cockatrice's den, and you would not want to play with it. But as a true believer, we can look at death, we can look at the grave, and we don't have to be afraid. And not because we we minimize what they are, but because the sting and the victory of those enemies are gone. And Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 3.13, And who is he that will harm you? And when he says that, he's saying the enemies of this world and even Satan and all his devils and death and the sword. And you can think of that list that Paul gives elsewhere. Who it is that can harm you if ye be followers of that which is good. And of course, people could say, yes, but what if death comes and gets you and you're a believer? Now you're dead. Yes, but we're in heaven. Our body is asleep in the grave. Our our souls are immediately in the presence of God in heaven. And there we are safe completely where no more turmoil will ever reach us. And it, it sounds like an easy escape to simply say that. But beloved, see, this is the truth. If, if our persecutors come to us to the point where our life is extinguished upon this earth, that death ushers us to the safest haven in the universe. So it's not that we play around with, with death and we don't minimize it again, but we don't have to be afraid. And this is what the prophecy is saying. They shall not hurt nor destroy. If you don't have Christ, death will destroy. But if you have Christ, it will not hurt nor destroy. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we, and we have this great encouragement in our hearts that we can make this message permeate the whole world. So, firstly, there will be unity and harmony amongst God's people. There will be safety and no dangers truly for God's people. And then thirdly, we could say there will be evangelism of the world so that many can become God's people. This begins where it speaks of the knowledge of the Lord as water covering the earth, but this basically verses 10 through 16 is all about evangelism because we read in verse 10 um, that that there will be Gentiles, see, it shall, um, to it shall the Gentiles seek. Um, the Gentiles is everybody else but Jews. So it's the whole entire world but the Jews. And they will seek this Messiah. But then the rest of the passage speaks of the Jews, the remnant, both of Ephraim and Judah. And even that among themselves there would be peace. Remember, Israel and Judah were always at odds against each other. But now whatever Jew from Israel converts and whatever Jew from Judah converts, there is no more jealousy or vexing among each other, nor of the Gentiles from beyond that. And, and we join together and we go make the name of our Creator known. And this, is, this is what we have in this whole passage um, In verse 12, look at 12. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations. So the nations will be hearing about this Messiah. They'll be hearing about the peace that he gives, the unity that he brings, the safety that we have in him. And then fourthly will be the great thanksgiving. 
from his people. So the results are there, there will be unity and harmony. There will be safety for God's people. Thirdly, there will be evangelism so that more people will be God's people. And then we're not going to go into it in detail, but I just want to put this heading over chapter 12. It is all the thanksgiving that will come forth because of this ministry, because of the Messiah. All of these six verses are about thanksgiving. It's about praise. It's about gratitude. It's about singing. It's about joy. It's about praying unto the Lord. It's exactly what we're here to do today. In verse 4 it says, And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. There's more evangelism there. And so, what a wonderful passage. Just exposing better in what way He is the Prince of Peace. We're seeing um, in detail how this peace will happen. Um, and if you are part of God's people, you, you have this peace. And you have this safety. And you have this harmony. And we can ask God to give us the grace to promote this peace and this harmony and to be those who will make His name to be known throughout the ends of the world. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Our gracious, glorious God, we are so thankful that we have seen, Lord, the beginnings of the fulfillment of these prophecies because Jesus has come and He is the branch. And Lord, we as Thy people are those who should be living with one another in peace and in safety. Lord, may that be so um, in this congregation. May it be so, Lord, among every believer. And Lord, for any believer who is living in animosity amongst each other, Lord, we, we do not claim to say that, that there is perfection in Thy church here on earth, but we pray, Lord, that this would weigh heavy upon their hearts. We know Thy Word says, as much as it depends on You to live in peace with one another, Lord, we, we know and we are aware and we hear of those who are called brothers or sisters who, who are unwilling to live at peace. We pray, Lord, that Thou would bring these very passages to bear in these hearts who are not finding the harmony of r- relaxing, as it were, sitting or eating side by side with other believers. We pray, Lord, that Thou would bring about this prophecy to those very hearts either through conversion or through repentance. For we ought not to make it where it seems dangerous for other believers to to rest among us. And Lord, also we pray that we may have hearts full of gratitude. Even now, Lord, as we bring our prayers to Thee and we have sung these hymns of praise and one more in the doxology, Lord, help us to see that even as we do all of this and as we live in peace with one another, we are living the fulfillment of these passages because the Lord Jesus has come. And we rejoice in that. And we pray, Lord, make us willing 
disciples to make the Messiah's coming known to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.